How's it going? How's everybody? I'm Brother Matthew, and welcome to Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And in this broadcast, we're going to continue on our study of the Gospel of John, and we've been working our way through slowly, just taking a look at each verse, each point, each teaching, each doctrine that Christ presents uh, through the Gospel of John. And there's so much stuff, and we've been kind of just even though taking our time, we're still ripping through because there's just so much information packed in each chapter and each passage that uh, we'd be actually spending an entire lifetime on on chapter one. But uh, it was, so we've been just kind of taking a stone and skipping it across the top of the water. It, they're diving in a little bit here and there, but more, more or less, we've just been kind of just skipping across the top, across the surface of all the stuff that's presented in the scriptures, and especially in the Gospel of John here. So take each point as we go along, as, uh, as it has been presented, and do your own study on this. If you go back to the first broadcast on the Gospel of John, uh, just take each video and just take each point that's presented, and do a study. Do a study on the words, the, the teachings, the meanings, uh, the applications, the interpretation of it, and all this, and do the study yourself. I'm just giving you a, a whole bunch of homework, a whole bunch of stuff for you to go and do the study yourself. And I also posed a question here, is uh, why is it so important to follow the three-point Berean system of studying the Word of God. Why is that so important? Is it important? So I uh, hope that you'll take a look at that question and give that some thought. And again, what is the three-point Berean system? That's interpretation, application, and demonstration. Interpretation, application, demonstration. Interpretation, again, is the what? The what of the narrative? What is it specifically saying? Uh, uh, what's being presented? And then we back up and go again through it slowly. Take a look at the how. How is it specifically being said? The specific words and the teachings and the principles, doing the word studies, all this. And the how is how is it, it being explained? How are they coloring in the narrative? So what's going on and where else in the word of God is it talking about this? And then finally, demonstration, now applying it to yourself to go live it, speak it, think it, do it. So again, why is this so, so important that to follow the system as the Bible teaches in Acts 17, 11, about the Bereans, about taking all that they heard and searching the scriptures to see if these things are so. So I hope you give it some thought. Wild Blue says it's important to study the Bible and not take a pastor's word for what is being said. We need to know how it applies as written. Berean method helps with that. Amen. Amen. Exactly. And as we see by the first point is uh, interpretation, which is Second Peter chapter one verses twenty to twenty-one. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures is of any private interpretation. So right there, we see is the Bible even explains, as God explains through his word, that it's not open to personal interpretation. So right there, the uh, progressive Christians, the modern liberal personal interpretation Christians aren't going to like that. Of course, they're probably going to cherry pick out or black that out or ignore that. Say, well, that was for back then, not today. Make some excuse so they don't have to follow that. But. What we're going to do is we're going to take that 
and apply it to ourselves and use that system. Okay, so John chapter 13. Gospel of John chapter 13. Please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens. Grab your tea, grab your coffee. Time to study the Word of God. And again, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please go ahead, ask away, chime in. Be glad to hear from you. If it's not related to the study at hand, if you could just please hold that to the end of the study or to the next broadcast as we want to try to limit our rabbit trailing, even though we get rabbit trailed all the time, we're going to try to minimize the amount of rabbit trailing. Okay. <clears throat> Still working on this morning's coffee, so I'm not 100% fully awake yet. They'll probably kick in partway through. Okay, so Gospel of John, chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. All right. It's a powerful verse right there. As it summarizes the entire gospel, summarizes the uh, the prophecies of the great prophets, and also shows a promise that Jesus reiterates at the end of the gospel. Spoiler alert. Uh, so when we take a look at verse 1, okay, the point, the purpose of the whole thing. Now, if the Jews really were honest if the Pharisees and all them were truly honest, which they weren't, it they would have admitted that they were not listening to the scrolls, the books of the prophets. Because if they really were, now, as they would teach that the Messiah Christ would come as an earthly ruler and emperor, as a king that would deliver them from the Romans. Well, where in the Bible does it say anything about that? Where it say that the Christ Messiah would come to set up an earthly kingdom to conquer the Romans and the Gentiles and and be like another King David? It doesn't say that. Well, the Lord will come eventually in this at, at the uh, at the second arrival, not the second coming, but the second arrival when the Lord will actually descend upon the Mount of Olives and then. Uh, walk into Jerusalem and then we see the establishment of the millennial reign we do see at that point but when what we're seeing through the scriptures about the second coming of Christ about how he comes there again that's just to gather the saints and for the first arrival we see by the promise of the Christ Messiah through the prophets we see Isaiah chapter 53 he would come to save his people from their sins we even see by the prophecy of Moses uh, as it talks about the one that would come and how the foreshadowing picture of the bronze serpent lifted up on the pole to save the people from the uh, the bites of the vipers and all of this. Now, the Christ Messiah would come not as a king, ruler, emperor, conqueror, but as a sacrificial lamb. All throughout the prophecies, all throughout the Old Testament, we see foreshadowing picture after foreshadowing picture after foreshadowing picture of this. Jesus again explains these things that all throughout the gospel is showing his disciples these pictures. He tells them exactly 
exactly how he would be how be put to death. He tells them exactly what would happen, even that he would rise again. And see, in John chapter 10, we see again in John 10, 17 and 18, he explains how he has the power of life and death and he will be giving his life. And but no man could take it from me, but he'll lay it down and he will take it up again. Now, therefore, the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world. Now, why the mention of the Passover? Why the mention of the Passover? Why is that so important? What was the Passover all about? When was the first Passover? Passover. What passed over? What is this? What is this implying? Well, if we go back to Moses, to Egypt, and the last plague, when the plague of the angel of death that would go throughout Egypt and take all the firstborn, we see that through the death of a lamb. The death and shedding of blood by the marking of the blood of the sacrificial lamb upon the doorpost and the lintel, that by the mark of the blood of the lamb, death would pass by. Judgment, damnation would pass by. So we see even the very feast was chosen, mentioned, for a purpose. The Passover. Jesus is the Lamb of the Passover. The great Passover. Our Passover. To save his people from their sins. To, uh, is, he, is the atonement for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now when the feast of the Passover. Before the feast of the Passover. When Jesus knew that his hour was come. That he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He loves his own. He loves his children. And he loves them unto the end. What did Jesus say before he ascended? I will always be with you. I will never leave thee, nor, nor forsake thee. Jesus talks about how we're held in his hand, and nothing can pluck us out of the hand of the Father. Nothing can pluck you out of his hand. I and my Father are one. So we see... Even the promise here, and he loves them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. All right. So if we back up a little bit to this, uh, again, if you go back to the house of Mary and Martha with Lazarus and all this, and Mary, who took the alabaster box of ointment of spark, spikenard very costly, she broke it and anointed Jesus, and Judas Judas got all bent out of shape and got all upset because, again, he's a thieving criminal, unrepentant, the son of perdition, the son of condemnation, unrepentant of his sins. He was a thief, so therefore he's not saved, not protected by God, not shielded by God. So he's unsaved and he's following out of his own personal opinions, his own personal ideologies. He's ignoring the teachings of Christ. He's ignoring the conviction. He's ignoring repentance. He's refusing to do that, which is right. He's in stubbornness and rebellion unto God, but he's still 
sitting at the feet of Jesus, can a stubborn, rebellious, personal interpretation individual who ignores the doctrines of God still go to church? Yeah, they're, they're religious, not saved. Judas Iscariot was religious, not saved. So the devil, having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, now we've established before how Judas was never saved. He never got saved. And how Jesus even calls him the son of perdition, that it was better for him had he never been born. Jesus would never have said that about someone who was saved. And we also seen at, at, through previous studies we've done, uh, show you from the word of God how, how saved individuals who are sealed by the spirit of God cannot be demonically possessed. Anyone implying or teaching that Christians can be demonically possessed needs to go back and study their Bibles. Because the Bible is very clear, very clear, that born-again Christians, those who are saved, sealed by the spirit of God, cannot be demonically possessed this is a doctrinal truth this is a biblical truth so now satan comes so now it says the devil the devil not a devil and later on it says satan entered him so this is lucifer himself not just a lesser demon or any other random devil that's out there this is lucifer himself the same Lucifer that came and, and tried to tempt Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 and the temptation in the wilderness. Tempted him three times. And then throughout the ministry of Christ, constantly opposed him. And then again on the road to Jerusalem, we see him trying again. And then we see again here uh, through Judas Iscariot, Satan again trying to oppose Jesus in Jesus' ministry. Using Judas Iscariot. Now, it's really interesting. A lot of people wonder at this, and a lot of people aren't aware that devils go to church. That there are some devils that are so powerful that are that are able to resist rebuke. They're able to resist the name of Jesus. Now, we even see in, uh, in Mark, I believe it's in Mark, where Jesus meets the gathering demoniac. Where Jesus commands the devils to leave the man, and they refuse. They, uh, uh, but rather they 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 delay and they plead and beg before leaving. Jesus commands them to leave. They don't, and they they plead and beg, "Don't cast us into the into the pit, uh, but rather send us into the herd of swine." So we see they're able. Some are so rebellious, so strong, and so hateful of God. Jesus even talks about this, how it says some of these come not out, but by prayer and fasting. So all because you're having church doesn't mean that devils aren't able to get in and cause issues. We even see that Jesus even teaching in the synagogue. It says a man, uh, uh, there was a man possessed with devils stood up in the middle of the synagogue and started causing an issue and started, started uh, debating and accusing Christ. Devils are able to go to church. Devils are able to, to get in and trouble ministry. They're able to trouble households. They're able to trouble your devotions. And some are so powerful, they can resist prayer. They can resist rebuke. It takes prayer and fasting to cast many of them out. So keep that in mind. Now, we also see Satan attends 
the Last Supper. You see, nothing is sacred unto the enemy. Nothing is sacred to them. They, they couldn't care less what you say. They couldn't care less what, uh, what God says. They couldn't care less what's going on. All they want to do is steal, kill, and destroy. They want to steal the joy, steal your faith. They want to kill ministry, kill your faith. They want to kill your joy. They want to rob you of peace and calmness of mind. They just want to sow chaos and confusion and despair and depression and doubting. That if they can't get your soul, they want to destroy your faith in Christ. That's all they're about. That's all they care about. That, And we see here, Satan attends the last supper that at the last supper the devil satan lucifer shows up and puts it in the heart of judas iscariot because we see judas got mad at jesus now there's something in one of the other gospels we see where jesus went to uh, mary and martha's house with his disciples there and as he was teaching them and Mary sat at Jesus feet and Martha was cumbered about much serving and Martha clanging around in the pots and all the serving now nothing's wrong with being busy nothing's wrong with service nothing's wrong with working and serving the Lord and all this stuff but there's a time and place you need to set everything aside mute your phone turn off your notifications put the pots down come and sit down undistracted and listen to Jesus now we see that when you're trying to listen to God, trying to listen to the scriptures, listen to Christ, trying to serve the Lord while you are doing other things and you're distracting, you're being a double-minded individual. This is where the devils are going to get in and cause issue and frustration and even possibly get mad at God. Where Martha says, do you not care that, that Mary has left me to serve alone? Think about the wording of that. Do you not care? What kind of question is that to ask Jesus? But we see that it's possible for Martha, a believer, a disciple of Jesus Christ, to get frustrated and accuse Jesus out of frustration. Mary, the mother of Jesus, in Luke chapter 2, out of fear, not frustration and anger, but fear, personal fear, because Mary and Joseph thought they lost Jesus. Remember, they went to Jerusalem, and then they're on their way back, and Jesus stayed behind and stayed in the temple, and they didn't know. And he was debating with the, the Pharisees and teaching them the scriptures, and they finally find him a couple days later. And what does Mary do? Accuses Jesus of making a mistake. Why have you left me, me and your father like this? And, and out of fear, accuse Jesus of making a mistake and staying behind and causing issue for them. So we see fear, you can accuse God falsely. Frustration, you can accuse God falsely. And we see Judas Iscariot out of frustration and anger because Jesus opposed him and told him off and rebuked him. That out of, uh, out of rebuke, 
you can get mad because people don't like being told they're wrong. Pride. Pride was Judas Iscariot's sin. Pride caused him to not repent of his sin. Pride caused him to not repent of his thievery. Pride had him lash out against Mary. And then pride caused him to get his back up when Jesus rebuked him for his railing on Mary. Pride is what caused him to hold on to this in his heart so that it would fester and smolder about him being told off, especially in front of everyone else. And then he gets mad and it develops into anger against Jesus and opposition to Jesus. So the devil comes along, fans the flames of this. Even at the Last Supper, Satan shows up to just fan the flames more and put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Now, if we word this differently, could put it in the heart of an individual who gets frustrated with God to give up the faith. God didn't do what I wanted to do, so I'm done. He won't answer me the way I want him to answer, so I'm done. God won't be a genie for me. So I'm fed up with the faith. I'm done with church. The, the people at church were mean to me, so I'm going to blame God. Yeah, because like that's totally a thing. That's like how you do it. Now, uh, the people are going to uh, betray you. People are going to upset you. People are always going to let you down. But accusing God for the behavior of people, yeah, that's improper judgment. Look at Jesus. Look at scripture. That just shows you had faith in people, not faith in Christ. So you see, this is what happens. Look at what happened to, look what happened to, to Martha. Look what happened to Judas. Look, look what happened to others and their behavior, their treatment of these things, how they handled these things. Satan put it in the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Now I saw an interesting post a while back. I forget who put, who made it, who made the post. It's very accurate. Be very careful and wary of your thoughts. Not all of your thoughts are your thoughts. You want to examine and test even your very thoughts. Because what you could be thinking, what you could be mulling on, what you could be meditating upon, what you could be holding in your heart may not even be from you. How do you know that your thoughts are your thoughts? Because the devils are able to come and put it in your heart and mind, suggestions, temptations, and images, and ideas, and feelings, and senses, and emotional uprisings, all these kinds of things. You need to examine every single thing by the standard of the word of God, testing all the spirits, the spirit of person, place, and thing, and emotion, and thought, and image. The devils can show up at church. The devils can show up in your home. They showed up at the Last Supper. Don't think that all because you're studying the word of God, they can't show up. Don't think that all because you're praying, they can't come in and try to disrupt it like the Pharisees did to Jesus. And he was trying to teach the people. 
Ask any pastor who's in the pulpit that while he's preaching the Bible in the pulpit, his brain is going off and all kinds of other things, and he's fighting to maintain a single course while the devils are trying to tempt and suggest and put all kinds of things and, and feelings and ideas in his mind to try to distract them. The devils go to church. They went to the Last Supper. Be very careful with your thoughts. Be very careful with your emotions. Be very careful with your words. All because you're a Christian doesn't mean that the devils can't touch you. All because you're a Christian doesn't mean the devils can't tempt you. All because you go to church and you read your Bible and pray and fast and you witness and evangelize doesn't mean the devils can't come and oppose you. It's not always because of sin that, that could draw them in. They attacked Jesus. They attacked the apostles. They attacked the disciples. They'll attack anything. Nothing is sacred to them. They tread upon holy ground. What makes you think the devils can't tread upon you? Satan deceived a third of the angels. What makes you think he can't deceive you? Be very careful. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Guard your thoughts. Guard your lives. Guard everything. Be suspicious of everything. Suspicious through the word of God. They're using the word of God upon everything. It doesn't matter how little it is. It doesn't matter how innocent it looks. It doesn't matter how pretty it appears. Satan can appear as an angel of light. And his ministers can appear as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to the works. The devils don't show up as, as flaming, roaring, raging hellhounds. They can show up as a nice, smiling, Armani-suited, wonderful-looking individual who's warm and, and, and polite and nice and friendly. Look at Joel Osteen. He's a false prophet. He preaches demonic doctrine. Look what's going on. The devils show up with smiles. They show up, they show up looking like angels of God. They show up as straying, random, innocent-seeming thoughts and suggestions. Beware of everything. Test everything. Don't don't ever never just accept what's being shown and said you want to test everything if the devil can show up at the last supper what makes you think he can't show up in your life and supper being ended the devil having now put in the heart of judas iscariot simon's son to betray him now even in this we talked about this the other day the error and the error and sin of judging after the outward appearance. How so many people can accuse, so many Christians can accuse other Christians because of the way they look, the way they talk, the way they behave, and they completely, utterly ignore the doctrine coming out of the mouth. That doctrine seemingly means nothing to them. That they don't care that you preach Jesus. They don't care that you believe in the gospel as they do. They don't care that you study your Bible, you're promoting the Bible, and you're teaching the Bible, and you're witnessing the gospel of the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace, your faith, your belief alone. They don't care that you're a fellow brother or sister in Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. They just don't like what they saw, what they heard, or, or 
what's going on around them. They judge after the outward appearance. Because we take a look at Judas here. Judas Iscariot followed Jesus for three years. He followed Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He listened to Jesus every day. Sat at the feet of Jesus every day day he went out with the other disciples at every every calling and every ministry of christ he was there he saw the miracles he heard the sermons he did he did the works many in that day will cry lord lord many in that day will cry lord lord all because you go to church, read your Bible, pray, and all because you 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 think like a Christian, act like a Christian, you hang out with Christians, doesn't mean you're saved. You're saved because you believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, as the scriptures had said. You can't get into heaven by the coattails of others, and you, you're not getting into heaven by your good works, your righteous works, your law-keeping, or anything else. All because you love Jesus. Doesn't mean you're getting to heaven. Obviously, Judas loved Jesus. But he also loved money. He split his love. He left his first love and was after something else. That there was something in his life. Now, so many people, as you also hear, saying, oh, you don't need to repent. You just need to believe in Jesus. Okay, question. Why are you believing in Jesus? Why are you believing in Jesus? Believing in Jesus for what reason? Why? Why do you need to believe in him now? What were you? What was not happening before this? Why were you not going to heaven before you believed in him? So you see a complete ignorance of the sin state. People think that uh, you just believe in Jesus, don't need to repent of your sins. But if you're not repentant of your sins, well, what makes you think you're getting saved? Saved from what? Salvation from what? Redeemed from what? So many people want to believe in Jesus, but keep their sin. They think that as long as they love Jesus, believe in Jesus, that that's all that needs to be done. And they can keep their sin and keep on living like they are. If you're not repentant of your sin, you're not saved. Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Repentance is important. Those that would deny repentance are believing in the gospel of Judas Iscariot. Keep that in your mind. Judas Iscariot, disciple of Jesus on the outward, raging sinner and condemned on the inward. Well, because a person says they love Jesus doesn't mean they're saved. They could be a Judas Iscariot. That, that at the first sign of something not going their way, they'll betray Jesus. All because something goes bad, they get mad at God. You're like a Judas then. You see how that works? Let us not be like that. Look at the life of Judas Iscariot. Outwardly, he looked like Peter and John and James. Outwardly, he seemed to be like the whole rest of them. But what did Jesus say? You will know them by their doctrine. That sometimes you may not be able to tell right away. Some goats are able to withstand the, the most fiery of preaching. 
but time will tell. That when the going gets hard, when the preaching is hard enough, when the word of God gets strict enough, even the most stubborn of goats will start ramming back and will run away. We're here to feed the sheep, not entertain the goats. Preach the truth, whether it clears out the room or fills it up. Clear out the deadwood by the doctrine of God. Doctrine exposes error. Doctrine will show the difference between the sheep and the goats. We're not here to entertain the goats. We're here to feed the sheep. And finally, we see, finally, we see that the witness and the testimony and the ministry and the teaching and the doctrine of Jesus Christ was finally enough that it exposed Judas as a false disciple, fraudulent Christian, a false convert. He believed in intellectualism only. He followed on the, by outward only. He never made it personal. He never allowed it to change his life. He had never allowed it to take root in his heart, only in his mind. To him, it was philosophy. It was lifestyle Christianity. It was progressive Christianity. It was just that which he could add to his bookshelf. It was bobblehead Jesus on the car dash. It was just, you know, the bumper sticker, snapback hat type Christianity. Wearing the good shirt, but inwardly, he kept his sin unrepented, did his own thing, and it was just his religious philosophy. It was just that which he could tag on, hashtag Jesus. It wasn't the true Lord God, Jesus Christ, Son of God, God the Son of Holy Scripture, as the Scriptures hath said Jesus. It wasn't Jesus of the Bible. What type of Jesus are you following? What type of God do you believe in? What is Christianity to you? Do you have the Christianity and the Jesus of Judas Iscariot? Or do you have the Christianity and the Jesus of Peter, James, John, and Paul? What type of disciple are you? That if you only have faith while things are going well and you crumble when things get tough, you never had faith. If you can only be a zealous, fervent Christian amongst other Christians and you crumble and you go silent when you're out in public, you're, you're a very poor example of Christ. I'm just saying. Look what the Bible shows. It's easy to have faith when everything's going well. It's easy to be a Christian with other Christians. But we're called to be able to have faith and be a Christian when we're all alone out in the middle of the world, out in the wilderness amongst the pagans and the heathens, amongst our co-workers and family and friends. We're meant to stand, stand apart and to be separate, be different, to be unashamed. Look what happened to Judas. Because he didn't make it personal, because he didn't believe, as the scriptures have said, we see the devil took advantage of him. The devil took advantage of him. Part-time Christians cannot stand against full-time devils. Full-time devils will just, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, that You're easy pickings. They'll get in and they'll root out your mind. They'll root out your faith. They'll destroy your devotion, destroy your prayer life. They'll destroy everything you stand for. They'll, they'll wreck and ruin everything that's remotely Christ-like. 
Um, they'll expose you as a hypocrite and a fraud and no different than it'll make you so depressed, so angry, so stressed, so anxious. You finally, you'll eventually walk away. You'll betray Jesus. You'll betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. For something so little in the grand scheme. For something so minuscule. For something so pathetic. Something that is so just irrelevant. For fleshly indulgence. The, the pleasures of sin for a season. Sin is pleasurable. But the end thereof are the ways of death. So many so-called Christians go the way of Judas Iscariot because God says no to their personal whims. Don't be a Judas. Don't, don't allow the devil to get in your ear when you're at your worship time. That when you're at church and sitting in the pew or you listen to the sermon, to the, to the message, your brain starts wandering and you start getting tired suddenly and every distraction and thought and everything else starts going on to try to distract you and hinder you. That's just Satan coming to the Last Supper. That's just the devil's showing up at church to try to ruin those who will give them a chance to ruin them. Resist the devil that he may flee. Pay attention like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, like the disciples sitting at the feet of Jesus. Pay attention and ignore the fires and the chaos of the world. Ignore the devil's attempts. Ignore the tapping foot and the drumming fingers of the devils where they're, where they're stressed and frustrated and angry and they're trying to figure a way to try to get your attention. Listen to the still small voice of Jesus. Warm yourself by the fire of the Holy Spirit. As a bottle in the smoke, as the psalmist says. As a bottle in the smoke. A bottle. If you take a bottle and you set it over the billowing fire of a campfire, it'll suit up all the outward. And from our perspective, from our view. The bottle looks like it's useless now. It's dirty, filthy, unusable. It's good for nothing. But that's just the outward. The inward, the inside of the bottle is still perfectly clean. The water in the bottle is untouched. While we walk through this world, we get splattered with the mud and the issues and the sin and the troubles and all the things that make us seem like we're unusable. And we think of the outward. We focus on the outward. We only pay attention to the outward. And we forget about the conviction of the inward, about the love of the inward, the passion of the inward, the zealousness and the fervency that drives us to tears, drives us to grief, drives us to prayer because, oh, Lord, I sinned again. That's what the Lord looks at. That's what the Lord looks at. Outwardly, people will see and they'll judge us by what they see and they hear and they feel. But inwardly, we're struggling. Inwardly, we're trying. We're fighting. We're zealous for the things of God and we fight for this. And that's what drives us to repent, drives us to, to sit at the feet again, to keep getting up again. A righteous man falls seven times and rises again. We be as a bottle in the smoke. Pay not attention to the sooting. Yet pay attention to the inward where the soot cannot touch.
God has cleansed the inward. He's cleansed the heart. He's sealed the heart. He's washed the heart. We will fall. We will make mistakes. But don't allow your mistakes and your falling to judge your devotion of God. Be very careful of all of the ways of Judas. Beware of all the ways that the devils will try to get at us like they did to Judas. Peter betrayed the Lord. But look at the difference between Peter and Judas. Judas betrayed. Peter betrayed. What's the difference? Conviction. Judas had no conviction. He was just sorry for getting caught. He wasn't sorry for his sin. And that's why he threw the money back at them and went and hanged himself. He wasn't sorry for his sin. Godly sorrow leadeth thee to repentance. Look at Peter. He sorrowed before the Lord and he asked the Lord for forgiveness. And he, and he prayed and sought the face of God in tears and he wept bitterly. He said, oh Lord, forgive me. Judas never did that. He died in his sin. Unrepentant. Unloving. But look at Peter. All because you make a mistake doesn't mean you're a Judas. If you make a mistake... If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The devils will get into your mind. They'll get into your life. They'll get into your devotions. They'll get into your church. They'll get into everything about you. But just remember, as while we are in this world, we will make mistakes. While we are in this world, we will do stupid things. We will fall flat on our face and sometimes publicly. But just remember, so did the prophets, so did the kings, so did the disciples. Jesus promised us not that we would not make mistakes, but that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That does not give us an excuse to sin. Our grace, our grace in Christ is not grace to sin. Our liberty in Christ is not liberty to sin, but is liberty and grace to come before the Lord in all boldness before the throne, even in the state we are in, to say, Abba, Father, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please help me. Teach me how to pray. Teach me how to preach. Teach me how to read and study. Teach me how to stand fast. Lord, would you strengthen my feet, strengthen my knees, strengthen my hands. Strengthen me, O oh Lord, to walk in the ways that you would want me to walk. Forgive me for my stubbornness, my rebellion, for my sin. And like Peter, after making the mistake, falling before the Lord and pleading his face and say, sorry. And that's where the Lord comes and says, I forgive you. Get up. I focus not on the fall, but at the rising. A righteous man falls seven times and rises again. That's the difference between Judas and Peter. There is nothing in Judas that would have him rise out of the muck and mud of sin. For he did not believe. Our belief is what drives us to go and witness. Our belief is what drives us to our Bibles again and again. Our belief is what drives us to prayer and repentance again and again. Our belief is what causes us to keep coming back to the Lord every time we fall. 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the good works. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. God doesn't look at religiosity. He looks at whether or not you've believed. Judas did not. Peter did. We see that belief holds us. That neither height nor depth nor any other creature nor anything in this world could separate us. Look at Job. Nothing could separate him. Satan hit him with everything he could possibly muster. He slaughtered his family, destroyed his home, destroyed his livelihood, robbed everything away from him, even took his health, drove Job to the, to the pile of ashes, covered him with boils. He tried to destroy Job, but Job's belief is what held on that last death grip of faith. The death grip of faith. That Job sitting in the pile of ashes with a broken piece of potsherd scraping his boils. It says, you're going to have to kill me. Because though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Belief drives us. Belief holds us. Belief keeps us. Belief causes us to repent. Belief causes us to self-examine. Belief drives us to witness. Belief is what causes us that when all the world turns against us with their knives and their teeth and their cursings and their slander, that we will rise with shaky knees maybe, but we'll still rise up and say, no, you're wrong. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. You're going to have to take my head. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I may, I may come before the Lord spattered with all the mud and all the troubles and all, and all the frustrations of the world, but I'll still come before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I fell in the mud again. I was in the pen with the pigs again. I was, the, I was a prodigal again. I backslid again. But Lord, please forgive me. What does the Lord say? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he will forgive and forget our sins. Hebrews 8, 12. Because he is our loving advocate. 1 John 2, 1. He promised that nothing can separate us. He promised that nothing could remove us. He promised nothing could pluck us out. He promised he would never leave us, never forsake us, no matter how stupid we are, no matter how much we sin, no matter how far we fall. I will never let thee go. That's a promise of God who cannot lie. And his word is preserved unto all generations. Look not on the outward. Look at the inward. Do you believe in the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, through belief alone? That's all that matters. If you truly, truly, truly believe, as the scriptures have said, it will reflect outwardly. And it will be different for everyone. It'll be different for everyone. It'll reflect differently for everyone. It's not a cookie-cutter religion. We don't all gather together and wear the same wear the same robe and shave our heads and all look like a bunch of a bunch of cookie-cutter robots. What does a Christian look like? A Christian looks like their faith. Do you believe in the Lord God, Jesus Christ? That's what drives you to the Lord in prayer, in tears, sorrowing for your sin and grief, and, and pleading the Lord to forgive you again, to help you get up again. 
not easy. In this world, you shall suffer tribulation. You shall suffer persecutions. They will hate you because of me. Who will? The world and the devils. You will be opposed by all. You'll be cursed by all. You'll be hated by all. Your family will turn against you. Your friends will turn against you. All hell will turn against you. This world will turn against you. Everything will go bad. But just remember, like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. In sickness or in health, in rich or poor, in strong or weak, just like marriage vows, no matter what comes against me, I will never let thee go. You said I do to Jesus. Stand by him faithfully as he stands by you faithfully. In this world, through the valley of the shadow of death it may be, to the heights of the glory and the bliss, bliss of joy in the mountaintops. Doesn't matter. The Red Sea may be before you and Egypt barreling down to destroy you. The devils may come in and they may wreck up the place. But just remember, your belief is unshakable. The storm may come against you and the waves may beat the rock that is higher than I, but the waves cannot move that rock. We are built upon that rock that cannot move. Our faith cannot move. We are unshakable. Look at the belief of Peter. Yes, he may have made a stupid mistake. He may have done a stupid thing by denying the Lord. Betraying the faith of Christ. To some, he may, he may have been another Judas outwardly. They may have just saw him as another Judas. They may have saw him as just yet another one of those fraudulent Christians. False converts. But the belief, the spirit of the Lord, John 16, 8, will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That if you truly believe, it doesn't matter what you have done, that spirit of God will rise up, will tap you on the shoulder, and will point you in the direction you need to go. And you will not be able to resist. He'll break you. It may take time, but he'll break you. You could have established yourself so deep in the mire of the muck of the pig pen of the prodigal. You could have fallen so low. But if you have truly believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he promised, I will never let thee go no matter how stupid you get. How deep you go. How muddy you get. My water will wash you clean. My blood will wash you clean. It doesn't matter what you've done, how stupid you've fallen, or what you've gotten yourself into. Climb out of the pig pen. Don't stay in the muck like a Judas. You know who Jesus is. You know what the word of God says. You know what the promises of God are. Our faith is not dependent on works. It's dependent upon whether or not you believe in the name of the only begotten son of God. Have you believed upon Jesus the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh? Have you seen that cross? Have you seen the nails? Have you seen the spear hole in his side? Have you seen the flowing of the blood? Have you seen the empty tomb? Have you seen the risen Lord? Has he shown himself to you? Have you believed upon him? That's all that matters. It's not about the stained glass and the robes and the tapestry. It's not about the candles and the hymn books. It's not about the tinsel and the flashing lights. It's not about people. It's about Christ. 
Who is Christ to you? You know who he is. He's our father standing on the road waiting for the prodigal son to return. And he's standing there with tears flowing down, pleading that you would just return. Stop your foolishness. Ignore the temptations. Ignore the whispers of the devils in your ear that God doesn't care. Ignore all the world pouring down on you with all their lying signs and wonders, all their lyings of science falsely, so-called, all their temptations to try to mess up this book, to try to rip this apart and say God is a liar and God failed. You know who God is. Enough of your runnings. Climb out, come back. Come back to the arms of Christ. He who loves you to the end will never let thee go. God can't make a mistake, but we fail him every time. That's why he holds us, because we can't hold ourselves. We're going to fall flat on our faces in five minutes, but we have thought, word, or action. We're going to betray him again by thought, word, or action. This doesn't minimize our sin. This doesn't give an excuse. It's just a matter of fact. Look at the Apostle Paul. Oh, the things I want to do, I can't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched men that I am, who will save me from this body of sin. If the Apostle Paul could fall flat on his face, what makes you think you won't? If the Apostle Paul struggled day after day and sorrowed and grieved over his mistakes and sin and temptations, his own personal failings, what makes you think that you won't? But look at Paul. Look what he did. He acknowledged his mistakes. He acknowledged his issues. He acknowledged this and he grieved over it and he pled the face of God. But look what he says that I have learned that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. But sin dwelleth in my flesh. But that's why, and as, the, as Paul wrote, I walk in the spirit. I believe in the spirit. I walk in the spirit. I read in the spirit. I study in the spirit. I pray in the spirit. I live in the spirit because my flesh fails me. My flesh opposes me. My flesh is my own devil. That's riding on the back of my spirit, whispering in my ear. My flesh opposes me at everything. My flesh doesn't want to go to church. My flesh doesn't want to witness. My flesh doesn't want to pray. My flesh wants to be a Judas. I'm chained and tied to a Judas till the day I die. Don't listen to Judas. Don't listen to your flesh. Listen to the spirit. And look what Paul says. My flesh wars with my spirit. Now notice what he says. My spirit. The word spirit is capital S. That's the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is now my spirit that I listen to, that I walk in, that I abide in. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll be able to resist the devil. Whether it be your flesh, the world, or the devils, you'll be able to resist. You'll be able to say no and oppose it. And on the slip-ups, You'll be able to say, Lord, forgive me for that mistake. Help me to hold my shield higher so I don't get hit by their arrows. We don't really pay that much attention to Judas. We don't really expound upon the sins of Judas in seeing the relation and the application to ourselves. We like to focus on the good things and on the blessings. 
But if we focused more on the woes and the warnings, it will help comfort us even more as well. Seeing how in the fallings and the failings and the slip-ups, smacking your face off the cobblestone, there's a comfort in knowing that the Lord doesn't deride us. He doesn't say, oh, you shouldn't have done that. I don't want you anymore. Go away. He doesn't ignore us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't cast us away. He doesn't, he doesn't kick us out of the family and kick us to the curb. But rather, he embraces us that much tighter and he holds us that much closer. The Lord helps the weak and the weary. He says, put my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If Judas only understood this, if he had only have listened, but sitting at the feet of Jesus, Judas let his mind only go to his ideas, his thoughts and his opinions and his feelings. He let his feelings interpret for him. He let his own ideology interpret Christ's words. He let his own thoughts to, to meditate upon. He only meditated on what he wanted. He only accepted what he wanted. He took what Christ gave and he only picked and chose and cherry picked to add to his formed up fashioned God. He let his mind wander at the sermons of Christ. And he never believed of the heart. He only accepted of the mind. And he followed because of good things and he ignored the bad. He ignored the judgments and the woes and the warnings. And he's now paying the price for his sin. Judas Iscariot is in hell. When the wailings and the gnashing of teeth. He's screaming for a second chance. He is screaming for one to come and dip their finger in the water to cool his tongue while he awaits the great white throne judgment. Let us not be a stubborn Judas. You know who Christ is and what he says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Repent of your sins and turn to Christ. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears next five minutes. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. That's why they're called accidents, not on purposes. Get yourself right with God. And if you have believed, get yourself right with God. Stop, stop wallowing like an Eeyore with a little black cloud, oh, woe is me, over every little thing and just repent of it and turn from it and forget about it, forgetting the things of the past. Don't fear about tomorrow. Take no thought for the things of tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the days, evil thereof. So only focus on this day, what is before you, and walk with Christ, walk in Christ, and hold his hand tightly. So if you slip, you, you won't fall so deeply. And like Peter walking on the water, don't look at the waves, look at Christ. Ignore the, ignore the threatenings. Don't fear their frowns. Don't covet their smiles. Just look at Christ. Sink your eyes deep into the eyes of Christ. Lock your eyes upon him. Look what his word says. And if you slip, you slip. Just acknowledge it. Keep going. Press on. Uh, the soldier on the battlefield doesn't just throw down the shield and the sword and give up every time he slips. He gets back up and keeps fighting. Keeps pressing on. 
plant your feet a little harder, stomp your heel in the ground and make that divot a little more so you can so you can stand against the wiles of the devil a bit harder. Pray harder, study more, pray more, devote more, walk more in him, walk in the spirit, ignore the flesh. Acknowledge the sin and repent of it and turn against it. Resist the devil that he may flee. If only Judas had have listened. And that's where it starts. He didn't listen to the gospel. And then he didn't listen to Christ. He didn't listen to the warnings of Christ. He didn't listen to the blessings of Christ. He didn't listen. He didn't listen. He didn't listen. He did his own thing. So finally, instead of Christ saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant, he heard that from Satan. Satan says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You will inherit a reward. You go to heaven or hell, depending on how you have believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you have believed, you are saved. And in this life you shall suffer tribulation and temptation and persecutions and troubles. But now in your walk with Christ, who are you listening to? What voice are you listening to? How are you walking in him? Many shall fall away. There will be a great falling away. Many will fall away and give up. They'll get angry. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Don't be a Demas. Don't be a Judas. But be, be more like Peter. Be more like Paul. Or if you slip and fall, make mistakes. Acknowledge it. Rise up. Get up. Keep walking. The Lord knows. And the Lord will not forsake. The Lord is merciful that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Focus on the grace of God. God, God is not a monster of, of law like other religions where he'll forsake if you don't maintain the religiosity and traditions. But rather, hold on to the hand of Christ. Lock your eyes in the eyes of Christ. Focus on the grace of God. On his smile and the tears of the father standing on the road waiting for the prodigal to come back. Before the prodigal could even say, I'm sorry, and ask for forgiveness. Before he could even ask for forgiveness, the father says, my son returns and embraces him. Think about that. The tears and the longing and the breaking heart of the father longing for the prodigal's child. Runs and embraces him. Puts on him a clean robe. Go to the Lord in all your failings and weaknesses. Go to the Lord. He'll embrace you. He'll embrace you. You don't have to make yourself right before you come. Just get up and go. Stop delaying. Don't think you have to get yourself right before the Lord embrace you. He embraced the mud of the prodigal. The father ran and embraced his prodigal son in all his mud. Think about that. 
And he took off the robe, the muddy robe, and put on him a clean robe, put a ring on his finger, and threw the feast. And the servants rejoiced. The angels of heaven rejoice when a sinner comes to the Lord. If my people, which are called by my name, should humble themselves and pray and seek my face, if my people would turn from their wicked ways. My people turn from their wicked ways. Ignore the legalistic Judaizer Pharisees who say that, well, if you make a mistake, if you sin, you're not of God. You have to maintain law. It's not about that. Christians can make mistakes. Christians can be stupid. Christians can fall flat on their face. Christians fail the Lord and betray the Lord constantly. We were told we would. We were told that we would make mistakes. We were told that we would get messy and mess everything up. You can't be perfect. We can't be perfect. We can't be sinless in this life. You will not be sinless. But you'll keep falling on your face and you'll keep crying and sorrowing and grieving and getting upset at yourself. Why did I do that again? I did it again. Why? The flesh is strong. The flesh is strong. You may fight in the battlefield and you'll take an arrow right through the visor of your helmet. You may even start doubting your own salvation. Be grieving that maybe God hates you. All these things going on. But what does the Bible say? Can the Lord fail? Can the Lord lie? Can the Lord make a mistake? Will he let us go? Will he forsake us? Will he cast us away? Will he pluck us out of his hand? What did his promises say? What are his promises? Peter remembered that. When Peter denied the Lord, not once, not twice, three times in a row, in front of everyone else, in front of other disciples, John was there. But the Spirit of the Lord convicted him, drove him to his knees, he didn't fight the conviction. He didn't try to make excuses. He didn't try to find loopholes around it. He didn't try to just forget about it. But he acknowledged it. He fell down. He said, sorry. And what did the Lord do? Embraced him. Taught him. Set him back up. Kept going. We can learn so much from this, from the belief of Judas, to the betrayal of Peter, to the frustrations of Martha, to the denyings of the Pharisees. We look at all these things and we look at what is the, what is the thread that goes through all this? You look at how they believed. True belief brings conviction and true belief will ultimately reveal doctrine. True belief is of the heart, not the brain. True belief is of the heart, not the actions. True belief is about Christ, not people.
Don't put your faith in people. People will betray you. Put your faith in Christ. Individually, personally, how do you see Christ? How do you believe on Christ? How do you see the scriptures? What are the promises of God to you? Be the prodigal, as we all are. Get up. Come back to the Father. Sit at his feet and stop denying, stop fighting, stop daydreaming, stop with self-opinions, stop with self-ideologies, stop with self-interpretations, and just take it as Scripture says. What it says is what it means. Model yourself after that. Because what armor are you putting on? If it's not the armor of God, the arrows of the enemy will go right through it. They'll punch holes right through your armor. They'll shatter your sword. They'll crunch your helmet. But if you put on the armor of God as the scriptures hath said, thus saith the Lord, the promises of God, the faith of God, the righteousness of God, the salvation of God, the word of God, your feet shod at the preparation of the gospel of God. And nothing will be able to destroy you. You may slip and fall. But that armor will stay nice and shining. Bright and glorious. Because it's of God and not our own. When we only look to ourselves and our own abilities. We will be grieved and stressed and fearful and anxious. And beset about every whim and fear. But if we die to self. Acknowledging that I'm a, I'm failing at everything. Uh, it's not my power. It's not my words. Not my ability. I can do nothing right. It's he that does it all. He shows me where to go. Lord, give me strength while I fumble through this world. Just a fumbling oaf. <laughs> Slip and fall at everything. But that's where the Lord smiles and says, that's why it's my work, not yours. That's why it's my strength, not yours. In my weakness, he is strong. It's his words, not mine. It's his wisdom, not mine. It's his spirit, not mine. It's his church, not mine. It's his word, not mine. The Lord gives me strength to stand when I keep knocking myself down. This is the beauty of the Lord, that the Lord knows this about us. He knows what we're, what's going to happen. He knows how we're going to fail. But the Lord also knows his own word. He knows his own promises that he gave to us. And he says, even though while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the Lord. We can't begin to wrap our minds around this love. We can't even begin to comprehend why. Why bother God? Why bother? And like Peter, we say, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Well, that's when the Lord bends down, picks up Peter and says, yes, I know. But even though I'll make you a fisher of men, I still want to use you despite yourself. 
I still want to use you. I still love you. I still want you to be my servant. I still want you to go and be my witness. I still want you to go and show others. Go show others your beautiful mess. Go show others how the Lord still loves you even though you're chaos embodied. Go show others the beautiful mess of faith. Where faith drives where flesh cannot. Faith drives where flesh fails. Faith keeps on. The body will die. It's appointed man wants to die and will keep on someday. Someday. We look forward to that beautiful hope, to that beautiful resurrection. I'm looking forward to that day where I can say goodbye, good riddance to this sinful flesh. Finally, I'm free. We look forward to that. We fight for that. We strive for that. To be in Christ. To be, finally be with him. To see his face. And again, to be at peace. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And no tongue that rise, and any tongue that rises against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. With men it is impossible, with God all things are possible. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. He strengthens us with his joy. The joy of that sweet communion and reunion of the Lord every morning and in every prayer where we say, Lord, I'm sorry. Say it 10 billion times, and the Lord every time will say, I forgive you. Get up. Let's keep going. You cannot outdo. You cannot overrun. You cannot overdraw the patience of God. If you keep coming to him in repentance and love and humility and meekness, you keep coming to him in sincerity, not the repentance of Esau, which I hated because he wasn't sincere about it, but the repentance of Peter, the repentance of Paul. In true, sincere repentance, come to the Lord, and every time the Lord will forgive you again, and again, and again, and again, to the day you die. Hold on like Job, with that death grip, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him that no matter what happens, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't let the, the, don't let the devil put in you thoughts to betray the goodness of God. Don't let the devil put in you and in your mind and heart thoughts that, that God will fail, can fail, hates you, despises you, casts you away, or thoughts to, to just give, give up and there's, there's no point. I can't do it. You can't do it. That's the point. You can't do it. I can't do it. You can't be, I can't be a good Christian. I can't be sinless. Neither can you. We're going to fall, but it's the rising again. It's the rising again. Don't judge after the outward appearance, Christ said. If only we would remember that. You judge the conviction of the heart. You judge the doctrinal belief. You judge the doctrine. You judge the belief of the heart. 
Do you, do they, do I believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God, Jesus the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh? Have I believed upon him? Have I turned to him and said, Lord, forgive me my sins. Please save me. That by the sheer mercy of his grace, unmerited favor, even though while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me because he so loved me, washed me clean through his work, his merit, his righteousness, his hand holds me. Do I believe that? That Christ died for me, shed his blood for me, was buried for me, rose again for me, according to the scriptures, as the scriptures have said. Do I believe that? Hold on to that. They may strip everything else from you. They can't strip that. They can burn everything down. They can burn down the church buildings. They can burn everything, destroy everything. Everyone could leave you. You could be left all alone like Job in the pile of ashes. But you know, the Lord will never let me go. One person with God is in the majority. It doesn't matter what this world says or does or what, what hound of hell comes against you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's all irrelevant. The only thing that, that's relevant is Jesus Christ. The martyrs in the Colosseum. The martyrs of Rome. The persecuted by Saul of Tarsus. The Christians that have been opposed all down through the ages and opposed today in every way, shape, and form. Christ never betrayed them. He will never betray us. He will never let us go. That while Egypt is barreling down on us, he makes a way through his blessed he never promised us that we would have our best life now. We are here to preach Christ. He never promised us earthly riches. He promised us heavenly. We're not here to, to shut down viruses. We're here to shut down the death of hell. We're here to save people from hell, not illness. We're not here to save people from, from poverty. We're here to save them from hell. We're here to save them from their sins. We're here to preach Christ. We're here to glorify God. We're here to preach the word of God in the hope of the blessed coming of Christ. We're not here to have our best life now. We're going to have bad days. We were told this. We were told family would leave us. We were told we would be betrayed. We were told we'd be persecuted. We were told that they would haul us up in the synagogues and the judgment seats. We were told that we'd be put to death for our faith. But it's holding on to our faith because that's all that ultimately matters. Don't let the devil try to tell you otherwise. Don't let the don't let the world try to tell you otherwise. That when all goes wrong, Christ is always right. The word of God is always, always right. It doesn't matter what laws they pass. It doesn't matter what bills they pass. It doesn't matter what governments, uh, uh, what they say. It doesn't matter what kingdoms rise and fall. The word of God will stand forever. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ will stand forever. And that's the only thing that's truly, ultimately important in the universe. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The promises of God. The doctrine of scripture. Thus saith the Lord. They stoned the prophets, drowned the prophets, starved the prophets, sawed them in half. 
They burn them alive. For the word of God stands forever. The Lord looks out upon the children of men and says, Who will stand up for me? Who will go for me? Who, who will stand in the gap? Who will build up the old waste places? Who will restore the old landmarks? Who will go and lift up their voice like a trumpet and declare to the people they are of their ways? Who will go and be a witness for us, the Lord says. That's what the church is for. Not for politics, not for entertainment, not for opinions and feelings, not for personal ideologies or visions and dreams and everything else, but for the word of God and the word of God alone. What does it say? That's all that matters. It's all that matters. How it teaches us how to pray. How it teaches us how to hold on to faith. Hold on to faith as the Lord holds on to you. To forgive others as the Lord has forgiven you. To love your enemies. To do good to them that hate you. To pray for them that despitefully used you and abused you. To turn the other cheek. As the Lord did for you. They may speak evil of you as they did to Christ. Forgive them as, the, as Christ forgave you. So remember. As we were, they are. As we are, they shall be is what should drive us, that we'd want them to join us in the army of Christ, in the discipleship of Christ, to be students of the word of God, to love the Lord. Satan may come to Passover. Satan came to Passover and tempted Judas at the Passover table. Right in front of Christ. Satan may come to your Passover. How are you going to listen to him? How are you going to react? Satan may rip up your home like he did to Job. How are you going to hold on? Everything may be burning around, around you. You might be sinking in the water like Peter walking on the water because the waves are over, overflowing you. How will you cry out to Christ? Let your faith be your first knee-jerk reaction. Hold on to faith when you can't hold on to anything else. Never deny Christ. Never deny him. Don't get angry at him. Don't get frustrated with him. He can't do wrong. It's not his fault. He can never be blamed. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. And like the prodigal, let us rise up. Let us acknowledge this. I will return from whence I came. Life was better with my father. I will return from whence I came. Put down the corn husks and climb up out of that pen. Start the, start the road back. The father standing right there with his arms wide open. Tears flowing down his face out of joy that you finally returned. You finally returned. Return to faith. Return to hope. Return to Christ. Return to the only thing you can return to. You can't return to people. People will let you down. People will fail you. People will betray you. People make mistakes. People fall flat on their face. 
but the Lord will never let thee go. The Lord loves you until the end. I am with you wheresoever thou goest, even unto the end of the world, Jesus says. That's just the first two verses of John 13. How much we can pull out of the word of God? And there's so much more. The word of God is alive. It came from the mouth of God, who is infinite. The scriptures are infinite. Infinite. You can't exhaust the scriptures. Hold on to them as you hold on to Christ, because these are his words. He gave it. He's the author. It's as infinite as he is. He sets his word above his very name, he says. Above his very name. How high and holy are the names of God? How high and holy is scripture then? How high and holy are his promises, are his doctrine? How high and holy are all of his decrees and commandments? What does he say? Unless you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Except you repent, you shall likewise perish. If you love me, come, join me. Come, take up your cross, follow me. If you love me, keep my commandments. If ye abide in me and my word abides in you, ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened. I will never let thee go. We'll finish. We'll finish this up. We'll wrap this up with Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verses 38 and 39. The famous, famous words of the Apostle Paul of the great, great promise and love and mercy of our Lord. Romans 8, 38, 39. For I am persuaded. Are you persuaded? Are you absolutely assured, convinced beyond measure that you know this? I'm persuaded. Are you persuaded? For I am persuaded that neither death in the valley of the shadow of death, nor life, no matter what could happen in this life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, not even any other of the supernatural, or things present, nor things to come, I'm not going to fear nothing of the future, not of the present, not of the past. Neither height, nor depth, mountaintop, or valley, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Which is in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus in all things? Is he in all things of you? Do you bring him into all things? And whatsoever you do, even in eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God. Nothing is too little. Nothing is too great. Bring him into everything. Bring him into every aspect of your life. Bring him into everything. And he'll help you in everything. And in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 
rejoicing in tribulation because it's not your challenge it's his the lord says jeremiah 32 27 behold i am the lord the god of all flesh is there anything too hard for me give him your challenges and watch god laugh you want to make god laugh tell him your plans tell him what you want to do tell him how you think it should be done you make god laugh but rather die to self give up surrender to him surrender to the lord abide in him abide in his love abide in his mercy his grace abide in his forgiveness abide in his grace and watch god work be still and know that i am god all right backing up through the comments here Okay, Wablu says, that blood was a mark of belief. So it is in believing in Jesus. Belief equals life. Amen. Amen. Uh, Gene says, Jesus is our sacrifice so we can live. Amen. That's a nice promise. It is an eternal promise. Wablu says, thank you for expanding about how Satan deceives. Guard everything by the word of God. Amen. This is really good encouragement. Amen. Love this. No cookie cutter religion. We're not all the same. Keep preaching. Amen. Hold my shield higher so I don't get hit by their arrows. Yep. Okay. Wild Blue says, no cell phones, cars, TV, travel by foot from village to village. It took days. So the three years to listen to Jesus were without a lot of distractions. That's right. That's right. That's right. As Judas Iscariot, think about that. Think about that. Judas Iscariot walking in lockstep with Jesus for three years. Going from town to town, village to village, city to city for three years. Think of how many sermons, how many miracles, how many opportunities he had. He denied the Lord. God did not predestinate him to hell. He chose by his own free, stubborn, rebellious will to say no. He was a thief. He loved his sinful pleasures more. He loved the pleasures of sin more. He loved his money bag more. He loved his own opinions, his own ideologies, his own feelings, his own thoughts, his own will more. He wanted to just add Jesus to his life. He paid the consequence. How, how much of our pews are filled with Judas's? Think about that. Don't let that be you. Many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord. How many opportunities these people have. It's not God's fault. He, he atoned for all. He so loved all. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants all men everywhere to repent. And he wants all to believe. He calls all. Not all will believe. Not all will believe. Because they don't want to. They want some other way. They want the gospel of Judas. They don't want the gospel of Jesus. Pablo says, yes, why can't I be like that Christian? Why can't I understand the scriptures like they do? No, 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 no. Those are thoughts from the enemy. It will destroy my armor. God teaches me. Amen, amen. 
get used to fumbling. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to play. Get used to fumbling. You're going to fumble it. We're all going to fumble it. You're going to fumble it everywhere. You're going to fumble, slip, and fall. And fall. You're going to fall right in the pen of the pigs. But that's not what the focus is. The focus is how do you react to that? How long it takes you to react to that. You focus on the faith. And the faith is your ladder out of the pig pen. Your faith is your shoes that shod your feet to be able to walk back down that gravelly road. You try to walk in your own strength, you're going to cut your feet on the sharp rocks. Shod your feet with faith. And you'll be able to walk back. Faith, not self. Get used to fumbling. Genesis, did you do a study on the book of James? Trying to find it. Oh, yeah. I've done a study before about that. Um, that was a while back on uh, when I was used to do my preaching on Periscope. I don't believe I have a study here on YouTube yet on the book of James. But if you're re referencing James as in James chapter 2, verses 24, 26, but faith without works is dead, you have to take the entire book of James in its entirety and the whole context of what James is talking about. As you look at what the Apostle Paul is saying, the Apostle Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, teaches and shows us that salvation is by grace through faith through belief alone, that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, all are one in Christ. There's one way, one truth, one life, one gospel, one way of salvation, and Paul shows it's by grace through faith by belief. So therefore, James is not opposing Paul or contradicting Paul, but rather James is addressing something else. Paul is clearly talking about the gospel of salvation, about being saved. James is talking about afterwards, about the promotion of faith. He's not, James is not talking about works to earn, to gain, or maintain, to keep, or self-atone. James is talking about now you, you believe, now demonstrate it, show it. The, the proliferation, the proclamation of faith, the demonstration of faith. Because words are cheap. You say you have faith, I'll show you my faith. Demonstrate you love the Lord, prove it. Prove it. That's what James is talking about. James is talking to Christians who are already saved, and he's talking about charity and Christian and, and, and Christian demonstrations of faith. About the works of believing faith. About the, the after effects of believing faith. That's what James is talking about. So, yeah. So, again, um, I have a write-up, a quick, basic write-up on that. Um, I'll add it to the description of this video afterwards. Um, it's called No Works. And uh, it's it's a very short little, little mini-study. I'll add that to the description afterwards so you can use the references and all this and pair it all together. And I'll show you how even Hebrews 6, 4-6 and Hebrews 10, 26 is not talking about a Christian losing their salvation. If you do a study on Hebrews 6, 4-6 and Hebrews 10, 26 and you break it down, you take a look at the words very carefully, you see that it's talking about an unsaved person rejecting the enlightenment of salvation, not a saved person recanting their salvation because can't you can't lose your salvation salvation's permanent because if you take a look at it only takes a minute let's do it 
this all goes hand in hand with what we're talking about anyways, about the promises of God, the promises of Christ, and about our salvation. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Hebrews chapter 6. So we're going to take a look at verses 4 to 6. I'm going to show you something that will be such an eternal comfort to you. So you remember this every time this comes up to you. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. Now, listen to the words. Okay, listen to the words. For it is impossible for those who are once, what? Enlightened. What is enlightenment? Mental clarity. That's not heart belief. Once enlightened, so they were given a realization. For those who came to the understanding, who saw it, it's like the light bulb, of, oh, I get it, now I see. Who were once enlightened and have tasted, not feasted. They didn't eat the bread or drink the water. It's just like a little taste. It's just a, a little bit just to, to draw them, to entice them who have tasted of the heavenly gift, were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? He'll reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Conviction of sin. The Holy Spirit is the convictor. He's the convictor that draws. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they, those who, so these are, I call them the white knucklers of the pew. Or they sit there, they're unsaved person who's sitting there and they're white knuckling the pew because they see it, they get it. Well, I see it, I get it. I, I just, uh, no, not right now. I just, I can't right now. If they shall fall away, how hard it would be to renew them again to repentance because what is to draw them? They've already seen it. They saw the cross. They they saw the truth. They they saw the blood. They, they saw the conviction of their sin. They got it. They felt it. They were there. They saw it, but they denied it. They rejected it. They resisted. How hard it will be to renew again the resistors. To renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So, because if we look on the other side here, to say you could lose your salvation, having it taken away or recanted, then denotes that you have to do works to earn, to gain, maintain, to keep yourself atone. But it's not by works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law. By grace, the unmerited favor of God. Grace, it, grace is the undeserved favor that I didn't earn it. I did. I don't deserve it. He gave it. Uh, he gave it to me freely. It's not a reward. It's a gift. It's nothing of me. All of Him. So how could I then have power over something I don't have power of? Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, and Hebrews 10, 26. 10, 26 is just a reiteration of, of Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. He's just repeating himself again in just one verse. They go, to, go hand in hand. So Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, and 10, 26 is talking about unsaved people resisting the gospel. You can't lose your salvation. It can't be taken away and you can't recant it. Once saved, always saved. Biblical truth. All right. Wabloo says, so the progressive Christians who feel that the Bible is too harsh on, on LGBT and all the others, 
and are weakening the gospel are still saved. Well, no, it, again, we have to look at what gospel are they believing in? Can a Christian fall into error? Can a Christian be deceived into wrong thinking? Can a Christian be fooled into unbiblical things? Yeah. So you have to not look at what they're doing now, but rather look at because Christians, all kinds of Christians can make stupid mistakes and decisions and ideas and, and have weird, wacky beliefs. But you look at the gospel, the ultimate gospel of what they have believed in. Do they believe in the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, through belief alone? As the scriptures had said, did they repent of their sins and believe the gospel? Mark 1 15. Are they born again? John chapter 3. According to the Bible, as the Bible says, if they do believe that, do accept that as the scripture says in its fullness, who are we to say no? No, you, you can't be because of what you're doing. So you are stripping that individual of their salvation because they're doing something you don't like. You, you're stripping them of their salvation and throwing them back into hell because they're saying or doing something that they're disobeying scripture on, like how you disobey scripture on from time to time. We sin scale. We, we put some sins greater than others. We sin scale. But sin scaling is not in the Bible. All sin is sin, and God sees all sin equally, and God is no respecter of persons. So again, Christians can make mistakes, so we don't look on the outward, we look on the inward belief of the heart. Could Christians be deceived? Yes. Can Christians make mistakes? Yes. Can Christians fall into error? Yes. So we can't judge by that. We then have to judge righteous judgment. Doctrine of the heart. Doctrine of the heart. Let's not be Pharisees and judge after the outward. All kinds of Christians can do all kinds of stupid things. Say stupid things, do stupid things, believe stupid things. We don't judge that. We judge doctrine. We judge doctrine. And if a person believes in the doctrine of Jesus Christ, as the word of God teaches of the doctrine of salvation. Of salvation by grace through faith by belief alone. In the Lord God Jesus Christ alone. Then who are we to say no? I know that can be earth shattering to some people. Some people say well well, you're, you're condoning it. And you're justifying all that. No I'm not justifying condoning anything. I'm justifying condoning the word of God. What it says. Not because someone says or does or holds or... or behaves in something that you disagree with or the scriptures may disagree with but if they believe as you believe according to the gospel who are we to say no who are we to say no there's going to be all kinds of christians in heaven there's going to be people in heaven you never thought they would be they would be there there's going to be a lot of shocked christians in heaven shocked that they got there shocked that they made it and others are going to be shocked that what are you doing here? I, I, when did you get saved? You, you're going to be shocked that so-and-so made it. They, they only made it because they believed in the only begotten Son. They believed in the gospel according to Scripture. 
So there you go. There's some thoughts. I hope this has been a help. Hope this has been a blessing to you. And so please rewatch this broadcast. Share this around. Give this some thought. What does the Bible say? What does Christ teach? Get used to different. Get used to different. The Word of God shows much more grace than you could possibly imagine. The Word of God is a lot clearer and a lot easier to follow than what a lot of people are saying. The Word of God is a lot more forgiving than we, than we give it credit for. Christianity is about Christ, not traditions and religion. Christianity is about Christ, not what I think it is. You read it, that's what it's about. It's not about law keeping. It's not about commandment keeping. It's about keeping Christ the center focus point of your life. We keep him the center by love of faith. By love of faith, the belief of the heart. Because when the heart is right with Christ, it'll start to modify and change and reflect the outward. Don't focus on the outward. Focus on the inward. When the inward is right with the Lord, it will reflect outwardly. It will reflect. And if there is the true belief of the heart, that's what we join and are in unison about. You will never, ever, ever, ever find two Christians that are that believe and are the exact same about everything. We will disagree on everything, but we won't disagree on Christ. And that's what holds us together of the one heart, of one faith, of one mind, of one spirit of Jesus Christ. This is not a condoning and tolerating and a justification of sin and all kinds of other things. I'm not saying that. I'm not alluding to that. What I'm just saying is, look at this. If you believe in the Lord God of Scripture, you'll see this. You'll see the simplicity. You'll see grace. You'll see mercy. You'll see the fellowship of the union of the saints in Jesus Christ. He holds us together. He holds all things together. Let him hold us together. And let us look to Christ and learn of Christ. Learn of me, Jesus says. Learn of me. And the more we learn of him, the more it'll change us to be like him. So focus on that. All right, Janice says, great teaching today as always. Thank you. God bless. God bless you. All right, folks. So thank you so much for joining in. God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. If you appreciate these Bible studies, please give this a like, give this a thumbs up and make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icons. You know, when we put up new videos and again, check out all the others and give them a like too and share them around and do the study, research it out yourself. Look at these things and apply it to yourself and go do thou likewise. Go preach the gospel, teach them the things of Christ. Go show the world your love of Jesus Christ. And God bless you folks. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.